MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, August 26, 2020. I don't know how your week is going because we are on vacation, but we will be back Monday with, uh, you know, our full-throated news, obsessive research, news with swearing, and, you know, good news segments, interviews, all that. But we have compiled, um, you know, an amalgamation of awesome interviews that are relevant right now and some really great and funny good news uh, segments for you. So I hope that you enjoy this while we're away. And please trust, we will be back Monday and we will gear up for the final 65 days to the election. You know, it's the most important election of our lifetime. And so we'll be there and we'll be here for you. We'll see you Monday. All right, everybody, welcome back. So we have some pretty big news in the, or at least rare news, not big to us because we expected it. And this is in the Michael Flynn case, as called by the co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, real life lawyer, my friend, Andrew Torres. Andrew, I know you're busy, so thanks for taking time to speak with me today. Oh, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for pointing out one of the rare instances where something I predicted actually happened. Um, always good to do that. I mean, I did, yeah. I did call both the Kavanaugh and Gorsuch appointments in advance. So I, I feel good about that, but you know, I've been on a bit of a losing streak lately. So, and, and not only did you call what we're about to go over, but you called that it would be judge Sullivan that filed, uh, for the rehear. And, and so could you explain uh, what this, you know, just you do your thing. You're good at this. <laughs> tell us, tell us what happened today and, and, and why it's rare and awesome. What we have today is an order from the entire D.C. Circuit, which has agreed to rehear en banc the 2-1 Naomi Rao decision that you and I have uh, kvetched about for, I think, 67 hours together that um, that that granted, inexplicably granted uh, Michael Flynn's request for a writ of mandamus, telling Judge Sullivan that he must dismiss the case couple really, really important things here that that are maybe a little bit nuanced, right? The first is um, the procedural posture in in which this arose that we talked about. Um, It it was not clear to me, like I thought it was still more likely than not, uh, that the D.C. Circuit was going to say uh, it was valid for Judge Sullivan to file uh, the petition to to rehear the case on Bonk. Um, but there's a non-zero chance that they would have said, like, look, you're not properly a party, right? I, we were helped by this, by the fact mm-hmm. that neither the government uh, nor Sidney Powell, for, for obvious reasons, made the best arguments on standing. So good thing they're not Daily Beans or Opening Arguments listeners. <laughs> um, so, uh, so number one, um, no procedural irregularity with a judge who was invited to file a response than petitioning for a review on bunk. That's, as far as I know, unique. It never, ever happened before. Um, really interesting that it happened in this case. Secondly, to rehear on bunk, that is by the full DC circuit, that's unlike uh, a grant of certiorari by the Supreme Court, right? Like you only need four votes out of nine for the Supreme Court to hear a case, uh, to, to take a case on certiorari. So oftentimes, the, whether the court grants cert is no prediction about how they're going to rule. 
To rehear something on Bonk takes a majority vote of the judges and is a very, very strong indicator that a majority of the court took a look at Naomi Rao's opinion and was like, oh, hell no. And that's a <laughs> look they, they should because that opinion is bonkers. Right. It, it's it, garbage. It's a garbage it, it's, opinion. It's terrible. Um, th- third point. Um, this is when I say expedited. Right. Oral argument is scheduled for 930 a.m. a week from Tuesday. August 11. Um, no time mm-hmm. for briefing, right? So in other words, um, whether the parties submit briefs, you know, sort of tweak the briefs that they've already filed, the order does not anticipate that. Um, and, uh, so and, that sort of means like we got everything we need. Yeah. And, and the oral argument is directed, and this is, this is the last point, and it's really, really significant. It says, the party should be prepared to address whether there are, quote, no other adequate means to attain the relief desired, end of quote. Ah, yep. that was one of the arguments, the bullshit arguments that, uh, that yep. Powell made. It, 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 but but here's, why it's a, here's why it's really, really important. Because as we've talked about, mandamus is an exceptional remedy. Right. And this case is about the worst possible scenario in which you could imagine, stripped of its political context, a court granting mandamus. So, uh, again, kind of uh, uh, basic, right? Like the root of mandamus is mandate. That is, you have to do this thing. And you therefore only get mandamus when the underlying governmental agent has zero discretion. Right. So, clear example of that. The statute says uh, the IG must transmit this report to Congress within 30 days. 30 days passes. He doesn't transmit it. You go to court and you say, I want a writ of mandamus to tell that asshole to transmit the report, right? He's got no discretion. He's got to do it in 30 days. And the court says, yup, there's no discretion. We're granting mandamus. One of the additional restrictions that makes mandamus an exceptional remedy is, in addition to proving there's no discretion, which, which again, by the way, you can't prove that here, right? Like Rule 48A says, with leave of court. Leave means discretion. Like, it's just, it's so basic. Um, but, mm-hmm. but additionally, like, equally strong as an argument is you don't get mandamus when there are other ways to get what you want from the court, right? That's also part of what extraordinary means in the legal context. Hey, if you could get this in some other way, don't come here asking us for mandate, right? Mandamus is for the weird. Right. And that was our that was our discussion where we were like, hey, you still haven't even heard if Judge Sullivan's going to dismiss the case. And so since that is an avenue for you to get what you want, you can't have this it, mandamus. It, you could argue, and I, and I mean this uh, A, sincerely, and B, with no insult. Um, you could take the oral argument on behalf of Judge Sullivan here and and say that and sit down, right? Like literally, all all, all that uh, all that Beth has to do is get up and say, "Yep, uh, no other adequate means to attain the relief." Here's a real good way. Uh, Judge Sullivan might grant the Rule 48A motion. All this decision says is we're not even going to let him decide not to grant it. So uh, why don't we wait and see what he does? And then if he grants the motion, you know what they'll have, a right to appeal. And and seriously, like, I kind of feel like my work, you know, do a George Costanza, like leave on a high note, be like, that's it. Peace. We're (laughs) out of here. Um, I, I have no idea. I, I, I honestly am saying this. Um, Naomi Rao's opinion, panel opinion, is so bad that that like it 
doesn't really squarely address that that proposition head on, right? Um, I, no, I, it doesn't. It just sort of goes to this ending where she's like, and that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and like, there's no connective tissue. There's no argument. Yep. And so I, I do not know. I am, look, I am positive Sidney Powell will come up with some batshit crazy QAnon theory uh, and will, you know, advance that in her oral argument. I have no idea what the government is going to say here because but they're stuck, right? Like it, you would have to concede because they're in a double bind, right? Like either they concoct an argument that's not in the panel opinion, right? At which point you say, oh, well, that's that's kind of clever. Um, sort of seems like you're conceding that the panel got it wrong, right? Uh, mm. Or you say, yeah, we stand on what the panel opinion says, and which are like, um, and so what's the answer to Cheney? That case is called Cheney v. U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. It's a 2004 uh, opinion. Um, and and you would say, uh, respectfully, Your Honor, there is no answer to that in the opinion. Like, it, it's, it's, it's a slam dunk as far as I'm concerned. That being said... Mm-hmm. I've been wrong on other stuff before, but, um, <laughs> but, but I, I, I feel good. And again, it's one of those, I mean, the, the biggest tell is right. On bunk review is not like certiorari, right? It's not the kind of thing that you do because you think like, uh, you want everybody to wait. It is something where a majority of the court is persuaded that, uh, okay, this is, this is, this is something that needs to be reviewed by all of us. Um, and and that is as strong an indication as you can get that that they're planning to reverse. Yeah, and a big hint in that is, and I, I remember speaking to you about this before it happened, and I said, now does that mean that automatically once this, you know, if they decide to rehear it, does that vacate the lower court ruling? Yes, it does. Yes, and it, it does. actually <laughs> says that in the order, and and uh, it's it's true, uh, at least from my understanding that. Once the second that the full court decides to he- rehear the case on Bonk, that lower court decision is is vacated because what what the full court decides now is going to be the decision. Now, of course, it can be appealed again, right? Uh, but uh, but that's you know the the vacating of that lower court ruling sort of lends to that argument as well. And here's the other fun thing. If, if if Sidney Powell wanted to argue Brady violations, Bill Barr fucked that up for her yesterday, <laughs> didn't he? Oh my gosh, could we do six or seven hours just you and me on Barr's testimony? <laughs> um, that was that was unbelievable. Yeah, it it it, it again. Um, he testified under oath that there were no Brady violations in the yep, Flynn case. Yep, word word for word, and and look like that that ties into the overall message that that you and I continue to get out with our respective shows right which is hey hey look things are bad right now we're not we are not sugarcoating that um but but our institutions are not irrevocably gone the law is not just completely made up and doesn't matter anymore right like there are ways to try and salvage the damage that's being done despite the full frontal assault by 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 the uh, by the Trump administration right so like that's not to say things aren't bad it is to say that things are not irrevocably broken and this is this is a really really good indication of that um more more good stuff um you can uh and and it is not uncommon particularly in high profile cases for judges to write uh, a dissent to 
a, a, a per curiam order like this granting rehearing on banc um, and say, no, 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 like the per curiam order, like the, the panel order was fine. Um, no judge did that, right? Um, so, uh, you know, that also tells me something. Um, Nobody was like, I don't think we should rehear it. No one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one said that. Oh, no. cool. So, uh, so, so there we go. And, and look, uh, again, you know, it kind of goes back to when I came on and, and discussed the, the real reason I'm happy about this is because it makes my amicus brief relevant again. Um, yes, that's and... what I was. That's why I wanted to bring you on, because here comes your amicus brief yeah. knocking at the door again. Yeah. Look, Barr's, Barr's testimony, in addition to locking him down on uh, Brady violations in this case, um, Barr's testimony also in numerous places um if you're paying attention, suggests that like maybe we should take a, a closer look at how decisions are being made at DOJ, right? And that's within Judge Sullivan's discretion to just say, hey man, I want to figure out a little bit more about how the government came to this conclusion, right? It, I've suggested that, uh, that that you know the court should invite a filing from Brandon Van Grack, right? Like at minimum they should get written answers from the government as to why Van Grack left, right? He's, he's withdrawn from the case. Uh, the court, I, I think it would be within their uh, inherent powers to, to subpoena him, to, uh, to order him to, to, to show up. Um, that would be another unprecedented thing. And Judge Sullivan probably wouldn't take that course. Although, like, again, you know, you're sort of, you're in for a penny, in for a pound at this point, right? Like, he, he's already blazed, you know, new trails uh, in, in several areas of law. So, uh, so maybe he'll do that, but like, let's stop. I know I'm the law guy, but like, let's just look at it from a social perspective. Like, wouldn't you like to know why the, the department of justice moved to dismiss this case? And then the line prosecutor, the person you would expect to be making that, right? Like their argument is based on prosecutorial discretion. The guy exercising that discretion is like, I can't even be in the same building with you people right now <laughs> on the same day. Like I would want to know that. And, and, and like, that's one of the cool things about being a judge is that when you really want to know something like you can usually find a way to make that happen. So yeah, I feel good. Yeah. Well, two, two things too, just real quick to explain. Uh, and I'll, I'll just do this real quick. The Brady stuff is, is Sydney Powell is saying all this exculpatory <laughs> evidence was being withheld by the government. All this stuff, all this evidence that says Michael Flynn is innocent and that's called exculpatory evidence. And if you don't, as the prosecutor hand in exculpatory evidence, you are committing a Brady violation. And Sullivan is a lion on Brady violations. He fucking hates that when that shit happens. But you know, in this particular case, Bill Barr testified yesterday, no, there's no Brady violations, so she's fucked on that argument. And then I wanted to ask you about the appeal, because there, I assume there will be an appeal. I, here, let's, let's play this out. I, all my beans are on the fact that they're going to uh, find in favor of Judge Sullivan and allow this to go forward. Then I think Flynn and the DOJ or Flynn, you know, will appeal this to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court's next session isn't until October, uh, and we wouldn't get the decisions until after the election if they heard it, unless they just rejected to hear it at all, uh, or, you know, fast-tracked it or something, but uh, or like it was an emergency hearing to stay something. 
But that sort of puts Trump uh, up against the election to force him to pardon Flynn if he if he's not going to be around after that. I mean, I guess he would be around till January uh, when, you know, and I, I'm not sure when that decision would come out, but it certainly puts it up, you know, on the on the deadline. I could not have said any of that any better myself. So first on the Brady stuff, you're 100 percent right. That stems from a Supreme Court case called Brady versus Maryland, which says when the prosecutor has exculpatory evidence, they are required to to turn that over to defense counsel. Um, the reason that that wasn't a big shock for me is because Judge Sullivan ruled on Brady violations in December of 2019. It was like a 180 page decision and it was 180 pages of this is nonsense. So um, it's kind of nice to know that Bill Barr uh, agrees with that. Point two on the timing. Yeah, if you're Sidney Powell, you have a a a, a political question that that you that, right that that that's going to determine whether you appeal the en banc ruling, which again. Given that they fast tracked this, you know, they, the hearing is going to be August 11. I, I wouldn't be surprised to get uh, the en banc decision within a week after that. Right. I mean, that would be light speed. But this was kind of light speed. So um, you're talking mid-August uh, or late August. And then you have the question of, do you take the risk of filing uh, a petition for certiorari to the Supreme Court, which they could decline to fast track? And if if John Roberts and the you know leaked reports on Brett Kavanaugh are to be believed, <laughs> right, you, you could see six or seven Supreme Court justices being like, yeah, you know what, um, Michael Flynn isn't in prison. There's no harm to him as an individual. Uh, I don't see why we can't address this in the ordinary course. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll distribute it for conference in October. Talk to you then. Um, and if that happens, as you point out, you are, um, legally speaking, well and truly fucked if you're Sidney Powell, right? Um, so, so it wouldn't surprise me if you get an adverse ruling, if they don't just accept that and then argue on the merits uh, in front of Judge Sullivan and try and take a better crack uh, at the D.C. Circuit on the merits, where, where again, look like their argument, their argument on the merits of the appeal would be much stronger than their argument was for mandamus. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not a crazy argument. I think it's wrong. It's why I filed an amicus. But it's not it's not a crazy argument to say under these facts, Rule 48A motions, the approval of the court should be cabined to very, very narrow circumstances that are not present here. And therefore, it was an abusive discretion. Now, appealing a judge's decision on an abusive discretion standard is a really, really high burden to carry in the appellate court. So the point on all of that is that um, this really puts Sidney Powell in a box. Um, the one thing that may save her is um, that the D.C. Circuit is, you know, while it is more liberal than many other circuits, um, it is it is a pretty centrist court uh, by ideology and temperament, right? Um, and you think of judges like Sri Srinivasavan and, and Merrick Garland, right? These are not Diane Wood, right? These are not sort of on... Uh, the vanguard of you know progressive legal thought. They are calm, measured, centrist, and I could see a DC Circuit opinion that reverses, but then says 
uh, you know, gives strong guidance to Sullivan and says, we're going to remand, we're going to let you decide under 48A, but these are the principles that should apply under 48A, um, and really sort of strongly tips its hand. That's not an impossible result. That would be a bad result. Um, Hmm. It's not an impossible result. Um, But if they just, if they issue a narrow opinion that says, in this case, uh, we are reversing because uh, mandamus is procedurally not appropriate here, which is what it, where it looks like they're going, um, then, you know, <laughs> you and I will be covering this for quite a while. Mm. And you know what's weird? If Flynn had just kept his Covington Burlings and lawyers and uh, testified at the Bijan Keon trial and taken his lumps, uh, he might be out of jail by now already. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I don't understand because it's not this isn't a stone situation where Flynn yeah. is threatening to come out and expose the president if he doesn't get his sentence commuted or whatever. Yeah. I don't understand this gargantuan waste of money unless it's being funded by Trump through six shell companies uh, for political purposes. But I just don't understand. He'd be out right now. I mean, he wouldn't be able to go anywhere because the president's a fucking idiot and we have COVID-19 everywhere. <laughs> but he'd be out or at least on home arrest with the rest of the fucking privileged ass criminals. I don't understand. It and And again, hard agree on all of that. And you omit it, right? Like, Stone was set to serve three and a half years in jail. The sentencing recommendation for Flynn was zero to six months, right? And now look, like... Amended yes. by Barr to say just right. probation, please. But he... Right. Yep, yep. I, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to interrupt. Like, that's... You're, you, <laughs> you are doubly correct, right? Like, it's it's super... Which he denied, were... which he denied yesterday, by the way. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't... We didn't change his sentencing recommendation. Yes, you did. Yeah. Yes, you did. I feel like Pulp Fiction. Yes, you did, Brad. <laughs> oh, yes, you did. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, and so uh, it, it's it is truly bewildering. I I I offer this because it it's something that hadn't occurred to me until I read John Bolton's awful book. Okay, so don't read John Bolton's book. But but one of the things that was just kind of a like smack me in the face moment was when John Bolton was like, well, the president obviously believes the like Turkey crowd strike conspiracy theory. And, and he was just like, what? Wait, what? Like, and, and, and it, 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 it's so repeated. And then you stop and you think about it. And you're like, oh, yeah, our president is a narcissistic dipshit. Like, of mm-hmm. course, he believes these conspiracy theories. So um, Michael Flynn was, you know, Mr. Lock her up. Screw, like, it is entirely possible that like, the reason is not political calculation, but just Michael Flynn has spent so much time immersed hanging around other dipshits that like he, he you know, it makes it that like he's buying into this conspiracy theory that like so he's he's buying what Sidney Powell is shoveling to mix a metaphor there. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, it's possible that there's no that there's no larger strategy here, that it's just. Uh, you spend enough time around QAnon dipshits and all of a sudden, like, you know, your brain gets melted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Possibility. I know. When we read the Manafort Hannity uh, to a text, also we call them the Manity texts, uh, <laughs> they sounded like they actually believed their own bullshit. So, you know, maybe that's the I, thing. 
it's you know it's the fundamental Alex Jones question, right? Like, like you know where where does the persona end and reality pick up? And and with these people, it's tough to tell. Mm, so. Yeah, Schrodinger's Schrodinger's conspiracy theory. Uh, <laughs> Art, well, thank you very much for explaining that to us. I really appreciate it, everybody. You have to check out the Opening Arguments podcast with Andrew Torres as co-host. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks always for having me on. But uh, you didn't need me today at all. Like everything you said was 100% correct. So I was just here to be your yes man. Yeah, but when I talk to myself, I sound crazy. So yeah, well, here you are. Uh, but thank you. No, I do appreciate it. There's a couple of things that I didn't know that you had brought up uh, about, especially about the certiorari, um, et cetera. So I, I do appreciate it. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG. If you've been following the show for a while, you might know some of the recent struggles of Bruce Willis, my podcast. Bruce Willis's health and well-being is my top priority. Wait, did I explain that Bruce Willis is my cat? Yeah, I think I said that. He's the pod cat, and I only feed him Nom Nom now. Nom Nom makes fresh food with the absolute highest quality for dogs and cats. They were started by a small collective of pet lovers who set out to provide the best nutrition and improve the health of dogs and cats everywhere. Nom Nom has formulated breakthrough recipes with the help of a leading board-certified veterinary nutritionist and a team of PhDs. Every meal is prepared just days before it ships out. It arrives at your door fresh, and it's perfectly proportioned for your pet's dietary needs. You just tell Nom Nom a little bit about your pet, and they'll create a meal plan based on their age, breed, weight, and health needs. Uh, and it, it's just, it looks really delicious. Like, I could eat this. It's so its so delicious and nutritious. It's very convenient. You just open it up, pour it in the bowl, and there you go. Dinner's done. There's no scooping, no sealing, no worries about over- or underfeeding. Uh, Nom Nom is obsessed with every step of the process, too. They're very transparent. They prepare and mix and pack every delivery with care in their own facilities. And their board-certified veterinary nutritionist is dedicated to researching and creating each recipe. Plus, Nom Nom ingredients are 100% sourced in the U.S. Unlike other fresh pet food, you can actually recognize the ingredients. You can see the peas and carrots and protein and potatoes and more. Uh, I just have Bruce Willis try the chicken cuisine made with chicken, carrots, asparagus, cantaloupe, and spinach. And Bruce loves it. He took a bite, meowed, yippee-ki-yay. So switch to the fresh pet food that is backed by science. Try Nom Nom today and you'll get 50% off a two-week trial. So go to trynom.com slash dailybeans. That's T-R-Y-N-O-M dot com slash dailybeans for 50% off a two-week trial. Okay, everybody. So the lead today, obviously, is Barr's testimony before the House Judiciary Committee. There were some standout moments, and joining me today to discuss them is former federal and state prosecutor Ellie Honig. Ellie, thanks for joining me today. AG, thank you for having me. I, I guess when you use the term "standout," that that could be on the on the good end or the bad end, right? Like the, there were there mm. were standout kids in my high school who were really smart, um, <laughs> and that applies to some of what we saw today. But there were also kids in my high school who were really not that smart, and I think some of what we saw today also falls under that header. Yeah. Well, in the spirit of the word infamous, we'll call them in standout moments. Right. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you about yours, but I'd like to go yep. over a couple that really struck me as important. And I've got some clips here. First, mm -hmm. let's listen to Representative Jayapal asking Bill Barr why he responded with federal agents in Portland with the Black Lives Matters protesters, but not in Michigan when white supremacists charged the state capitol with long guns demanding freedom from masks, I guess. Hold yep. on. Let's listen yep. to this clip. Apparently, the president believes that you can be activated to implement the president's agenda and dominate American people exercising First Amendment rights if they're protesting against him. But let's look at how you respond when the protesters are supporters of the president. 
on two separate occasions after President Trump tweeted, liberate Michigan to subvert stay-home orders to protect the public health of people in Michigan. Protesters swarmed the Michigan Capitol carrying guns, some with swastikas, Confederate flags, and one even with a dark-haired doll with a noose around its neck. Are you aware that these protesters called for the governor to be lynched, shot, and beheaded? No. You're not aware of that? I was not aware of that. Major protests in Michigan. You're the attorney general, and you didn't know that the protesters called for the governor to be lynched, shot, and beheaded. So well, obviously you couldn't be concerned about that. Well, there are a lot you, of protests around the United States, and uh, on June attorney 1st, general I was Barr, worried about the District of Columbia, which is federal. In certain parts of the country, you're very aware of those, but when protesters with guns and swastikas I'm very, and I am aware of, flags. of Excuse me, Mr. Barr, this is government. my time and I control it. <clears throat> you are aware of certain kinds of protesters, but in Michigan, when protesters carry guns and Confederate flags and swastikas and call for the governor of Michigan to be beheaded and shot and lynched, somehow you're not aware of that. Somehow you didn't know about it, so you didn't send federal agents in to do to the president's supporters what you did to the president's protesters. In fact, you didn't, you didn't put pepper balls on those protesters. So the point I'm trying to make here, Mr. Barr, that I think is very important for the country to understand is that there is a real discrepancy in how you react as the attorney general, the top cop in this country, when white men with swastikas storm a government building with guns, there is no need for the president to, quote, activate you because they're getting the president's personal agenda done. But when black people and people of color protest police brutality, systemic racism, and the president's very own lack of response to those critical issues, then you forcibly remove them with armed federal officers, pepper bombs, because they are considered terrorists by the president. You take an aggressive approach to Black Lives Matter protests, but not to right-wing extremists threatening to lynch a governor if it's for the Trump's, if it's for the president's benefit. Did I get it right, Mr. Barr? I have responsibility for the federal government, and the White House is the seat of the Mr. executive Mr. Barr, let branch, me just make it clear: you are the, supposed the to Michigan authorities the can handle of the United Michigan States of America, not violate people's First Amendment mm -hmm. rights. You are supposed to uphold democracy and secure equal justice under the law, not violently dismantle certain protesters based on the president's personal agenda. So you've worked for both the state and the feds, and I, I understand the attorney general here is trying to say that the Michigan situation wasn't a federal building where the courthouse in Portland is a federal building. But what about the hypocrisy of forcing mayors and governors to accept his help, quote unquote, but ignoring this kind of armed protest when it's for the president? You know, when it's people protesting against the president, he sends in the troops when they're protesting against people who don't like the president. Yeah. He, he didn't even know about it. He didn't even remember the situation, as a matter of fact. And there were death threats made on the Michigan governor. Right. It, it, it was vintage Bill Barr in this sense. Everything he does comes out one way, comes out whatever way is consistent with Donald Trump's campaign and talking points and tweets. And, and he is willing to just contort the law or try to thread any needle to get there. Now, look, 
there is a distinction that that's that's not completely illegitimate between federal property and, and non-federal property, but that's about where where he, he stops getting credit. I mean, first of all, what's going on in Portland is far more than just defensive. I mean, the federal government certainly has the right to secure and protect buildings. And I agree with him. You can't just I agree when he said you can't just sort of sit back and allow a federal courthouse to be overrun. But what's happening in Portland goes well beyond that. You have unmarked, mm. unidentified agents, law enforcement agents. Uh, we'll take them at their word that they are law enforcement agents, which is dangerous uh, in several respects. Um, clearly, in some instances, using excessive force and and reportedly in several instances, making arrests without probable cause. And I wanted to hear someone drill down on that a, a little more with with the attorney general and say, are you OK with federal agents interacting with the public in unidentified uniforms without identifying their agency or themselves? Are there any investigations that you're conducting of use of excessive force? If excessive force is used, was used, would you investigate? And same question um, with respect to arrests uh, made without probable cause. And by the way, you know you have far so easy to read. He must be the world's worst poker player because, he, I mean, <laughs> his tone when he gets a question that he knows is in trouble on just is like when you question an eight-year-old on if they stole a cookie from the cookie jar. And he launched into this bit about, well, he's not so sure he would call it an arrest. You know, they were just um, detained and questioned. It's like, listen. That's an arrest, buddy. <laughs> yeah, or if you're in, if you're in, you know, if you're, because I think it was uh, Ted Lou who was like, don't you have to have that specific person right. being, you know, have probable cause for them specifically doing something? He's like, well, in these kind of situations, yeah. it can be by proxy <laughs> and uh, folks with near you. Yeah, yeah. No, well, no you, you, you can just kind of arrest as long as it's a person standing close to a person who did something. That's fine. Um, <laughs> that's sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, Just for the listener, also, I want to mark that. Yeah. The, and the sarcasm too. I think it was McClintock who who was like trying to say that if there's one violent act in all of the United States in relation to the Black Lives Matter protests, that makes them all violent protests because you can't like be kind of pregnant or you oh, can't be yeah, like he yeah, was, I, right. remember he was giving that, you know, you either are or you aren't. Yeah. I mean, the pregnancy, the pregnancy analogy you're either are or aren't is one that gets made sometimes accurately sometimes not but often not i mean in all of these instances or you could have some acting a certain way and some acting another way like that's real life the preg i think he was pleased with himself with the little pregnancy analogy but it just completely did not apply to that situation so no, good job he's a douche uh all right another <laughs> your words <laughs> not mine correct uh the views of ag expressed on this show are not the views of ellie honig or his affiliate listen it's it says with swearing right on the uh, promo. So, you know, I, I, yeah. it does. Um, OK, <laughs> another standout moment for me was when Barr was asked about his interference in the sentencing recommendation for Roger Stone. Let's listen to that clip. Well, boy, you're expecting the American people to believe that you did not do what Trump wanted you to do when you changed that sentencing recommendation and lowered it for Roger Stone. You think the American people don't understand that you were carrying out Trump's? I was not, I, I had not discussed my sentencing recommendation with anyone at the White House or anyone, president exactly or anyone outside the, the department. President wanted you to do. And that's what you did. No, 
Let me ask you, do you think it's fair? Do you think it is fair for a 67-year-old man to be sent to prison for seven to nine years? It was in accordance with the sentencing. No, it was not. You just said that it was. And your lying prosecutors will testify that it was also. Now, I'm going to move on from that. So he actually responded with a question to this question, saying, is it fair for a 67-year-old man to go to prison for nine years? Um, Which I guess means in 20 years, I'm in luck. I can commit crimes freely. I'm going to be rich, Ellie. I don't know about you. But hey, it seems if you're 67 or older, and by the way, wasn't that how old Hillary was when when they wanted to lock her up? Anyway, uh. <laughs> um, but that I thought that that was like, uh, you know, that the, that his own prosecutor's sentencing recommendation. He slid in at the end that his own prosecutor's sentencing recommendation was not within the sentencing guidelines, but it was, wasn't it? It, it was. Uh, he, I think, he maybe disagreed with how they calculated the guidelines, but I mean, yeah, th- that was ridiculous. So first of all. What I wanted to see Barr at, question on about the Roger Stone case and the Michael Flynn case, and, and this happened a couple of times, but I don't think it was quite forceful enough, was when else have you ever done this? Name another case other than Roger Stone where you overruled – not just overruled, by the way – overruled the approved sentencing recommendations of your, of your line prosecutors. They put in a memo properly approved through the Justice Department asking for a sentence, and then he overruled them. When else have you done that in your out of the tens of thousands of cases that have come under your jurisdiction? DOJ charges about 60,000, over 60,000 cases a year. How many others have you done? that? Mm-hmm. He'd have to say none. I mean, right. And then same thing with same thing with uh, with Michael Flynn. How many times have you moved to dismiss a case after <laughs> uh, after a guilty plea? So I would have liked to have seen that. And the thing is, w- William Barr must think we're stupid because we're not just talking about. He, he wants to take every little thing he did and isolate it. But the problem is there's a broader pattern of conduct that we've all seen. I mean, if if this was something Bill Barr routinely did, if he went around monitoring DOJ cases and said, look, if you have a case involving an older person and and um, a nonviolent crime, I, I want to see about it and I want to review your sentencing recommendation. OK, you or I might disagree or agree with that, but at least it's not flagrantly political. But when it's only Roger Stone mm. – um, we're not idiots. We can see what's going on. Yeah, and then he just kept shouting, "The judge agrees with me. The judge agrees with me." Because because <laughs> her she which by the way she didn't come out and say, "I agree with a lower sentencing recommendation, and therefore yep. I'm only going to sentence forty months." No, she weighed eight thousand different factors. Um, right. That I guess Bill Barr's simple mind is unable to grasp. But uh, just because she. Yep gave a 40-month sentence on a seven- to nine-year recommendation, she actually said, I am going by the original sentencing recommendation. Uh, However, I'm sentencing 40 months, not in concurrence with a a lower recommended sentence, but just in how she viewed the sentencing should come out. Yeah, that was a point that I made and various other DOJ alums made on air publicly before this sentence came down. The consensus in our little world of legal analysts, former prosecutors, was that the judge was not going to sentence to seven to nine years, that she would I, – I, I predicted on air – I think I said four years or three years, and it came out right in the middle of that. Um, and just because – look, it happens all the time as a prosecutor that you go, here's the sentencing range. We've calculated it. And we think a sentence is within that. But the judge, there's cases where it's obvious the judge just isn't going to go that high. It doesn't mean Bill Barr was right. And what 
the, the member of Congress said that I think was right, I think the response when he was yelling, oh, the judge agreed with me, was no, no, no. It, but it's about the process here. It's about the fact that your own people went out and made this recommendation properly vetted and approved within DOJ, and then you publicly undermine them on this case and this case only. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, it, <laughs> wait, but it gets better. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by the incredible people at BetterHelp. Life is super stressful these days. Anxiety for most of us is at an all-time high. And if you're struggling with anything keeping you from enjoying your full happy life, I really recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional licensed counseling done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with under tw- in under 24 hours. You know I've had my own challenges with anxiety and PTS, and I truly believe that when it comes to your mental health, it is imperative to seek help rather than try to face it alone. And BetterHelp services are available for clients worldwide with a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, a lot of which might not be available locally in your area. But you can get it on BetterHelp because you can log into your account anytime from anywhere and send a message to your counselor, and you get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you want. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available. So visit their website and read their testimonials like this one by BetterHelp user DI, who says of their counselor, this is my first time receiving counseling, decided to try this app, and Constance Moore, Constance Moore was the therapist suggested. Been with her for about a month now, and personally, I couldn't have asked for a better counselor. She's been very professional, she has been available to me, and that has helped a lot. I've been feeling a lot better, and although I'm going through so much, it has been a lot easier with her help. Most definitely would recommend her services. So visit betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You can get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Then came Cicilline, and he asked a very simple question about whether it's appropriate for a president to accept or solicit foreign interference in an election. Let's listen to that clip. Is it ever appropriate, sir, for the president to solicit or accept foreign assistance in an election? It depends what kind of assistance. Is it ever appropriate for the president or presidential candidate to accept or solicit foreign assistance of any kind in his or her election? No, it's not appropriate. Okay. Sorry you had to struggle with that one, Mr. Attorney General. Ellie, is it a crime to accept or solicit foreign assistance in an election? And why did the attorney general have such a hard time with this very simple question? It is. I've uh, cited it many times. And by the way, this law has been one of the um, most improperly or weakly applied by everybody from Robert Mueller to Bill Barr. Um, Look, I thought Robert Mueller should have given much more serious consideration to charging people over the Trump Tower meeting Mm -hmm. um, who were trying to get foreign election. Junior. Junior should have been charged with this crime. Yeah. Junior and others. I mean, look, the law says it is a crime to solicit, which means ask a foreign national for a thing of value in connection with an election. And I guess if if you want to parse that, where, where the defenders of this behavior try to jump in and say, yeah, well, but but campaign dirt is not a thing of value. You know, get it in, in the in the in the, um, you know, getting dirt on Hillary Clinton is not a thing of value. Getting dirt on Joe Biden in the Ukraine context is not a thing of value to which I respond. And I have to give credit here to, to Joe Lockhart, who's a friend of mine, former Clinton um, uh, cabinet sec- or excuse me, press secretary. He said, look, what if they donated a used van? 
uh, what if a foreign national donated a used van for free? It's worth $3,000, but you could use it to drive around and get lawn signs. Would that be a thing of value? Of course. I mean, nobody would argue that that's not a thing of value. But so how, how about oppo research? Yeah. I mean, dirt on an opponent is infinitely more valuable than that. There are firms that exist who get paid money for the entire right. reason of gathering opposition research. It's worth money. Right. People have said to me, well, how would you prove that up at trial? I said, I would just call an American oppo research firm. And I would say, I don't know, if, if a if a fill in the blank type of, uh, of campaign hired you, how much would you generally charge? And they would go, I don't, I don't know what it would be. Six feet, well into the six mm-hmm. figures. So you go, well, there you go. There's your thing of value. Yeah, I know. We were even like, how about the value of the paper it's printed on? Can we do anything? Can we, like, where do right, you draw exactly. line? Um, this was also another example of why Barr is such a bad witness. I, I can't help but look at witnesses through through the lens of, of if this was a trial. And if he was my witness and there was a break, I would say, listen, I know you're doing your best here. And I know they're getting under your skin a little bit. But your reactions are 180 degrees different, depending on who's asking you the questions. And you got to knock that off. You just got to play it straight for both mm-hmm. sides here. And that's in a criminal trial because I've had that happen where if it's if it's my witness as a prosecutor, they want to please me and they want to argue with everything the defense lawyer says. I would sometimes say, look, your job is not to contest everything the defense lawyer says. Your job is to listen to the question and answer truthfully. Don't worry about if they like it or I like it or not. You know, And, and Barr was almost... You could almost see him. I mean, Cicilline asked him a very straightforward question. Is this okay? And the first time through, he did his whole, uh, depends. I don't know. It depends, depends on you know. what and, and kind. Then, yeah. And Cicilline did, did a good prosecutor's trick there. He just followed up and asked it again. And Cicilline was like, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Barr was like, yeah, I guess, I guess mm-hmm. so. Yeah. And I think that that sort of gives a little credence to the fact that, that Barr is, uh, covering for the president. Um, what a weird exchange that was. And now, finally, let's get to your bread and butter here. Yes. Um, let's listen to uh, Swalwell on the commutation of Roger Stone's sentence being a crime as Barr testified to it being before during his confirmation hearing. Let's take a listen. And you responded, no, that would be a crime. Is that right? Yes, I said that. You said a crime. You didn't say it'd be wrong. You didn't say it'd be unlawful. You said it'd be a crime. And when you said that, that a president swapping a pardon to silence a witness would be a crime, you were promising the American people that if you saw that, you would do something about it. Is that right? That's right. Now, Mr. Barr, are you investigating Donald Trump for commuting the prison sentence of his longtime friend and political advisor, Roger Stone? No. Why not? Why should I? Well, let's talk Mm -hmm. about that. Mr. Stone was convicted by a jury on seven counts of lying in the Russia investigation. He bragged that he lied to save Trump's butt. But why would he lie? Your prosecutors, Mr. Barr, told a jury that Stone lied because the truth looked bad for Donald Trump. And what truth is that? Well, Donald Trump denied in written answers to the Russia investigators that he talked to Roger Stone during the time Roger Stone was in contact with agents of a Russian influence operation. There's evidence that Trump and Stone indeed did did talk during that time. You would agree that it's a federal crime to lie under oath, is that right? Yes. It's a crime for you, it's a crime for me, and it's certainly a crime for the President of the United States. Is that right? Yes. So if Donald Trump lied to the Mueller investigators, which you agree would be a crime, then Roger Stone was in a position to expose Donald Trump's lies. Are you familiar with the December 3, 2018 tweet where Donald Trump said Roger Stone had shown guts by not testifying against him? No, I'm not familiar with that. You don't read the President's tweets? No. 
So there you have it. A really well laid out. Here's a fact. Isn't it true? Yes. Here's a fact. Isn't it true? Yes. Then if all of that shit is true, how can you look me in the face and, you know, are you going to investigate Roger Stone? Why should I? It's just a very, very interesting, uh, I think, exchange. Yeah. Look, to all the uh, law students out there or anyone thinking about going to law school, this is how you do it. And and I I do want to say it looks like Eric Swalwell may have read my CNN column because I suggested almost verbatim this exact line of questioning. But but look, one of the things that struck out that stuck out to me is that the, the, the later you got in the hearing, as you go down the seniority list to the more junior members, the better the questioning got, generally speaking. Um, and what you early on, you would see people asking the making these speeches or these long winded questions with eight different subparts that Barr just kind of could blow off. But what, what Swallow did here was take one fact at a time in undeniable fashion. And look, if you just say to William Barr, you interfered with the Stone case because you were trying to help one of Trump's buddies, one of his political allies. He's just going to go, no, I didn't. You, mm-hmm. don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. But if you break it down this way, if you say you said during your uh, uh, confirmation that it would be a crime to exchange a pardon um, for, for leniency, excuse me, exchange a pardon in order for silence, you said that would be bribery. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. I mean, you can't dodge that. He did it. It was on video. Okay. Did you see the president's tweets praising Roger Stone for staying strong and having guts? No. You know, I mean, Barr tried. To, he tried to pretend he didn't see those tweets, but he, yet, yet he was very well read on other topics. But you know, then you show it to him. He'll go no, and you go okay. Well, I'm going to show it to you now. I wanted to see more people do that when he said I didn't see it. Have it with you. Put it on the screen. Okay, here it is. Okay, and then you know, were you aware that Roger Stone made these comments about? I'm paraphrasing, but essentially I could have turned on him and I didn't. And I expect leniency I, again. He probably because he's sneaky, he'd probably say no. And then you put it up and you go, now nah, do you see this? OK, good, good. So given that, are you at least investigating? Or would you? Right? I'm not asking you to. Dr- and, and he was very he was very uh, really arrogant bar. He just said, why, should why I? would I? No. I mean, why should I just laid it out for yeah, you? Why you? Because should. if you just learned about these tweets then aren't you shocked? Aren't you as shocked as all of us are? You know, now that now that I've shown you these tweets, which you're pretending not to have seen before, (laughs) um, now are you going to do the right thing? Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, there was a lot of that. And and, but that was really good to see. That was a good um, that was a really strong moment of cross-examination. Yeah, he denied seeing a lot of Trump's tweets, especially the one where, you know, he wasn't happy with Stone's sentencing recommendation. And then all of a sudden, hours later, there was a new one. He's like, no, that was the night before. And it was at one thirty, and I slept. And then I had to. And you're like, all right, look, he's like, here's the order of fucking operations. OK. Um, and it, it, yeah, yeah. it just sort of slipped by it. So those are my um, I mean, th- th- this um it was this was full of fire this entire hearing i'm tired after listening to it um but i mean those were my top takeaways yeah i i thought i i agree with those um but i will tell you um there was another issue that i wanted to get i wish got a little more attention and i think um representative val demings and i think jonah goose um if i'm saying his name right um uh both raised it and i give them credit for that which is Barr needed to be um, confronted a little more aggressively on his comments about ma- mail-in ballot mm. fraud and election mm-hmm. fraud. Um, and, and the two of them did a really good job with that. But I, I wanted to see uh, a, a little more 
just be, be more of a theme overall, because to me, that's so dangerous, right? He has made comments over and over, and he can't deny these comments, that there's going to be or there could be massive fraud and counterfeiting. And when when he was making those comments in NPR, they asked him, um, the interviewer asked him, well, how do, do you have evidence of that? And, and Barr's response was, and I quote, no, it's obvious. I mean, OK. And so I wanted to see somebody say, what specific evidence do you have to support your theory that there could or will be or has been massive election interference? And then I would have followed up with this fact. And he can't run from this. Again, I keep using this number, but of the 60,000 cases that your Justice Department brought in 2019, how many of them had to do with voter fraud or mail-in fraud or ballot fraud? And the answer, it's a little hard to tell, but if you look at the Justice Department's website, they publish their own statistics and they break down the categories of crimes so small to like, including like corruption relating to union benefits. I mean, they list categories of crimes that had literally three or four cases. They don't even list a category for election fraud, voter fraud, ballot fraud, anything like that. And, I, and if you Google, you'll find one case, but it actually doesn't even have to do with with mail in ballot fraud. So just put it to him that way. Make him admit that there's just no body of evidence that this exists, because this is dangerous to me. If Trump's going to try to fight the 2020 election, he, he's going to have to have Barr. Barr is going to be a necessary and willing accomplice to that. And Barr has signaled in the way that he and Trump like to signal to each other that he's in. Mm-hmm. I'm in for it. If you And and I wanted to see that called out a little more aggressively. Though, again, Demings and Nagus, I think, did a good job in, in raising it. Yeah. And I think uh, Hakeem Jeffries even sort of drove the point home when he asked Barr about whether Trump would accept the election results. And, right. and Barr was like, well, if they're clear... And yeah. boy, talk about leaving a big loophole open, uh, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, of course, somebody's like, what do you mean clear? He's like, oh, don't you remember the year 2000? Yeah. When they fucking stole the election. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Is that your example? Is that your example? <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. I mean, and that's why the, the, the capper question I wanted to see him ask was, do will you commit here as we sit here right now that you will not be any part of any effort? to challenge an election result unless you have specific proof that there was illegal conduct that would have changed the outcome. Yeah, and he was he was asked that and his he could only just I'll follow the law. I'll follow the law. Yeah, I mean oh your law the one that you're gonna create when you whip up an OLC memo, that law? Right. I mean he's so bad on the law. I mean if you look at the for example the Michael Flynn uh, memo where he justifies throwing out the Flynn case. I mean, he's just making stuff up. He's just completely distorting all these important legal concepts. He, he doesn't care. I mean, look, I know lawyers are good at bending things, but but you're the attorney general. I mean, play it straight once in a while. Yeah, that'd be nice. Well, I appreciate yeah. you uh, talking to me about this hearing today. I feel better. I feel better. I got a little bit of my beans out. I think I need to go on a walk. I feel better. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I'm glad it was therapeutic, I think, for both of us. So, yes. All right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I do appreciate you coming on. State, federal prosecutor, uh, and uh, analyst. Um, is it? Are you MSNBC or CNN? No, CNN. CNN, legal <laughs> analyst. Thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, Thanks for having Ellie me. Honey. Hey, oh, by the way, where can people follow you? Oh, uh, Ellie, uh, listen, one of the nice things about having a name like Ellie Honig is there's only one of me on Twitter, <laughs> E-L-I-E-H-O-N-I-G. Uh, there's no the real Ellie Honig, Ellie Honig 14, just me. <laughs> real Ellie Honig 14. <laughs> Got it. All right. 
Hello, loyal listeners. This is AG, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Daily Beans podcast. We couldn't make it without your support and the support of our sponsor, CarShield. CarShield is an excellent service for the modern car, which, as we know, is loaded with computer systems from electronically controlled transmissions and touchscreen displays and automatic windshield wipers and sensors and computer systems. You can't fix these yourself when they break, and it can cost a fortune. Uh, I hate dealing with car tech stuff. Last time I tried to fix my hydraulics, and now my car bounces and dips like I'm trying to win a lowrider contest. But I know that sounds sweet, but it's not. Uh, anyway, computer car repairs can cost an arm and a leg, and they can take forever. That's why I have CarShield. I love their service. They have monthly plans that can be customized to fit your needs, and they understand that payment flexibility is a must. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands of covered repair. And that's on, like, computers, GPS, electronics, and more. And there's no long-term contract or commitments, and CarShield gives you options others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield just takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance, and you can get a rental car while your car is in the shop. CarShield has helped over a million customers so far, so drive with confidence knowing you have coverage from America's number one auto protection company. And for as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for covered repairs. So call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code DAILYBEANS or visit carshield.com and use code DAILYBEANS to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code DAILYBEANS. A deductible may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'd like to uh, introduce University of Texas law professor, co-host of the National Security Law Podcast, self-proclaimed SCOTUS nerd, Steve Vladek. Steve, I'm so happy you agreed to speak with me today. Thanks for coming on. Happy to do it. Sorry for the uh, the background screaming of my uh, four and a half and two-year-olds. I absolutely love it. And I think it sort of grounds us in the reality that we're in. So Indeed. I do appreciate it, as a matter of fact, because all I've got are snoring cats, which you cannot hear. I'm very jealous. <laughs> All right. So the reason I'm glad to have you here is because Trump has filed his brand new arguments in the Vance Manhattan DA Mazar's subpoena case. And as we know, this went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court told Trump his arguments against the subpoena were bullshit. Please try again in the lower courts. I'm paraphrasing. So this went back down to the district court where the judge gave Trump until yesterday to amend his bullshit complaint. And he has. Yep. So, Steve, what are Trump's new arguments <laughs> for why Mazar's new arguments <laughs> for why Mazar shouldn't hand over his financial records to Vance's grand jury? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's 16 pages, AG, but it really boils down to two very straightforward claims, I guess. Um, the first is that the subpoena is overbroad in that it's seeking more records than Vance uh, reasonably has a right to request, and then the, that could relate to the investigation. And the second is that the subpoena is harassment, um, which is you know deeply consistent, of course, with the president's Twitter feed. So, you know, 15 pages of rhetoric, two actual substantive claims. And frankly, AG, I think neither of which have much of a chance on the merits, but I'm not sure at this point that matters. No. And and first of all, the harassment thing is, is funny because they've already argued this point uh, in front of the, uh, I, I think it was the appellate court judges. And at some point, one of the judges was like, yeah, but that's sort of the point. Are you trying to tell <laughs> me that Clinton v. Jones wasn't harassing the president, you know, like they sort of brought up the whole case, like one of the, you know, one of the cases that sets precedent for this kind of thing. And that was already, I thought, shot down as an argument. But tell me about the overbroad 
thing because generally when you talk about overbroad, it's because it's burdensome. But I don't, I didn't see that really in here because he, he, we know he lost that argument because you can't say somebody else's job is burdensome because this is Mazar's that has to hand something over. But what about the overbroad argument? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think, I mean, that, that to me is, is the defining feature of this whole case, which is that these arguments might hold a little bit more water if it was Trump himself who had to comply with the subpoenas. That's not what this case is, right? This case is Trump trying to prevent. Mazars and, you know, anybody else from complying with these subpoenas. So the overbreath analysis, I think, is mostly a rehash of what was already argued the first time around. It's just that, you know, as we talked about when it came down, the Supreme Court's decision in the Vance case left room for Trump to make these arguments anyway. I mean, it seemed to be part of the deal between Chief Justice Roberts and the more progressive justices was to leave some room for Trump to try these claims again. But, you know, all that's all that's to say, I think, you know, these are going to be rejected pretty quickly. Um, And it's really more a question of whether um, the president is able to get a stay either from the Second Circuit or from the Supreme Court, because I think he's going to lose. Um, And I think the question is just, you know, when does he lose and what is the effect of the loss? Right. What would this stay be for? A pending appeal? Again, back up to, I mean, I'm assuming he's going to try to take this all the way back up to the Supreme Court. Yes, I think that would be the idea. A stay pending appeal and or an injunction pending appeal to prevent Mazars from complying with the subpoena. Um, and, you know, this is, I mean, this was always, I think, going to be the end game once we read, you know, the Supreme Court decision, which is what's really going to matter here is how the courts vote on these stay applications because one way or the other, Trump is eventually going to lose this case and Vance is eventually going to get all or at least most of what he has subpoenaed for the grand jury. I think from the perspective of the president, the goal is just to have that be after the election. Mm-hmm. And that's where the stay piece of this comes in because you know, if, if Trump loses in the district court pretty soon, whether he has to comply before the election or after really will depend upon whether the district court's ruling is allowed to go into effect or gets put on hold pending this appeal. So I have a question uh, just about Vance's timing here, because I know that there was a statute of limitations consideration because there's a difference between felony fraud and misdemeanor fraud. Uh, in the statute of limitations. And that's sort of why he was trying to get this decision quickly. We're way past that now. Is there any way he can toll that because it took so long through the courts? Or is it just too bad, so sad? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he'll probably try to argue for tolling. But I think it's a stretch. I mean, I think part of the, you know, part of the issue here is that the president, I think, is going to be successful in running out the clock on that, even if he's not ultimately successful in running out the clock on complying with the subpoena or having, you know, Mazars comply with the subpoena before the election. But, um, you know, I think all of this is just why the one thing I wish the Supreme Court had done, you know, a couple of weeks ago when it ruled in in this case um, was not leave open this window for the president, because I think it was clear to just about everybody that this was not a serious um, issue, that, this was, that, that the president was not going to have significant substantive claims on remand. I think the court was just trying to get out of there. Um, but so now, you know, the, the question is not if the president's going to lose. The question is when. Yeah. And this filing sort of proves our assertion that his only tactic was delay. He didn't have a serious argument. Yep. And uh, and it's a shame that somebody with money and standing and, you know, political sway like this can delay and delay and delay past statute of limitations that free them from being uh, implicated in crimes. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's possible that there's, you know, already a sealed indictment that we don't know about. It's possible that, you know, the district attorney has other ideas for how to get around the statute of limitations issue. Maybe there are other offenses or, you know, ways of, of getting a sort of backdating things. But, you know, th- this is always, I think, AG, a much bigger story about our litigation system, which mm-hmm. is that one of the things that money buys you is the ability to stretch things out. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, litigation in this context inevitably tilts toward parties with greater resources, not because they have better lawyers, not because they have better arguments, but just because they have more ability to run out the clock. Yeah. And if you have those resources because you fucking stole them, then you're a criminal. All right. Well, anyway, I apologize for that. I'm so glad you came on. Uh, Tell everyone where they can find you and follow you for all of your uh, law updates. Well, as you said, I co-host the National Security Law Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Steve underscore Vladek, uh, and my day job is teaching at the University of Texas. Wonderful. Maybe I'll be a student of yours one day. Thank you very much for coming on. <laughs> Thanks, AG. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.